Hi everyone. We're so excited to be here with you for this expansion of Pride into the month of July. Coming for the rest of the calendar too. Before we preach, let's take a moment to pray. God, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this may not be the most profound theological reflection, but Ezekiel is a bit of a weirdo. I mean, biblical prophets already tend to be a touch eccentric by call and temperament. Isaiah walks around naked for three years. Jeremiah has to wear a thin linen belt that's never allowed to touch the water. But even by these standards, Ezekiel is a little out there. You know, the other prophets give him a wide berth at the reunion. Directly before this chapter, Ezekiel sees flaming wheels in the sky, intersecting one another, bedecked with sparkling creatures with four faces, hooves and wings. Later in the book, we read about him lying on his side for 390 days to bear the weight of Israel's sin. Elsewhere, God asks him to bake his bread over flaming cow manure. And of course, famously, he preaches to a valley of bones, commanding them to rise. I mention this not just because it's fun to talk about how wonderfully strange the Bible is, but because that strangeness is actually really integral into grasping the role of biblical prophets. We can't understand who Ezekiel is without it. There's this temptation when we read passages like this to say, ah, it was 2,500 years ago. Of course things were different. Of course they strike us as odd when we read them now. But here's the thing. It wasn't any less shocking to the prophet's contemporaries. It's not like the ancient world was filled with people cooking over piles of poop, or wandering around naked for years, or shouting curses at fig trees. Then, as now, the role and responsibility of the prophet was to disrupt society's everyday functions, to point towards the way that our habitual patterns fall short of God's expansive love. That is what this text is talking about. When God's spirit enters Ezekiel and says to him, whether they hear or refuse to hear, they shall know that a prophet has been among them. God is saying, regardless of if your actions transform the world, you will live in such a way that you yourself will be transformed. And in that transformation, you will offer other people an opportunity to live likewise. Indeed, the very existence of the prophets testifies to the deplorable state of affairs that makes their prophecy necessary. It is the people's rebellion and transgression that forces God to call Ezekiel, to ask him to bear a message that will bring scorn and animosity upon him. Ezekiel's strangeness is God's indictment. It reveals the gulf that yawns between the world and God's dream for us. And so... Of course, we don't always immediately understand the prophet's words and actions when we first hear them. If we did, prophecy would not be necessary. And to maybe put it more simply, maybe less pastorally than my friend, a prophet really only has one job, right? A prophet's job isn't to debate you or convince you or prove anything. 
Their job is simply to bear witness to the truth that God wants others to hear. And so as we think about pride beyond June, I want us to consider this question. Who are the gender expansive prophets among us who we, like the Israelites, refuse to hear? In Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel is face down before the glory of God. It's powerful to me that it is only through being open to God working inside of him that Ezekiel is then commanded to stand, look God in the eye, and is then overcome by God's spirit. There's something really fascinating about God using Ezekiel's body as a site for transformation. As Ben said earlier, it isn't so much about how Ezekiel looks, but rather the way he exists in the world that is transformative and which God knows will give light to others. Ezekiel's body then becomes a site of liberation. When I first heard this framing from the Nat ministry or bodies as sites of liberation, something lit up inside of me. The journey in chipping away chains of trauma and inherited supremacy and binaries has been long and honestly ongoing. I spent a lot of time, honestly way too much time, trying to find words and labels that helped me understand myself in ways that translated to others. I felt a bit like I was a matryoshka, those little Russian nesting dolls. Once I had found something that fit, I realized I was inside another box that I didn't like and that kept me from looking God and myself in the eye. It wasn't until this year that I began to understand that my most full self, my most holy self, my most connected to God self, my most liberated self is one in which I am creating myself alongside God. It's why I've started using terms like gender inventive or gender creative to describe myself. The more I am open to my own self and the more I value my own ideas and connection to spirit over those of my friends or family, the world, the more I live into the dream that God has for me. The more I free myself to exist wholly the more I free others to do the same. And to be honest, I think that's the secret power of folks who have begun to break away from binaries and assigned ways of existing. We have found the freedom to partner with God and accepted the call to co-invent and co-create ourselves in ways that are authentic and true to the liberated lives God wants for us. My body has never felt like a cage, although it does for some people. I love my body. I wouldn't change it for the world. I love the curves of my hips. I love my broad shoulders. I love my slender but muscular feet. But what I don't love are people's assignments, gendering, and expectations of my body. Assignments are how we protect ourselves, right? And our views of the world. You categorizing me as a woman helps you decide how to relate to me. 
The problem with that is that when we do this, we mistake likeness for sameness. And we risk throwing another shackle or another nesting doll onto somebody who is trying to rise into their truth and power. And that's exhausting for folks outside of the gender binary to be frequent recipients of. But I imagine too, it's exhausting for those who feel like they need to do the shackling. I wonder how much more liberated all of us would be if we weren't in constant states of delegating others' existences or refining ourselves after being buried time and time again. What would we be like if we could recognize the prophets, the messengers among us and truly listen to what God is speaking through them. When trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender variant folks live into our true bodies and expressions, and in fact, when we all do, we invite the spirit of God to rest inside of us. When we do this, we answer the call and invitation to stand on our feet, look God in the eye, and co-labor with them. We are invited to be free in such a way that illuminates darkness for others who are still fearful, looking at the ground, and to become an echo of God's voice calling them into the light. When we believe our bodies are sites of liberation and stop listening to and worrying about those who rebel and who refuse to hear, then anyone we come into contact with has the opportunity to break free too. Like Ezekiel to the Israelites, it isn't the onus of gender expansive folks to prove anything or convince anyone of our holiness. We are simply light bearers, prophets of God's invitation for us to be in deeper harmony with our spirits and bodies. Is my hope that while some will rebel and some will refuse to hear, others will stop and listen to the call. I'm gonna be honest and tell you something that I've only mentioned to a couple people. Words I certainly haven't spoken from a pulpit. I'm not sure that I identify as a man anymore. This year, I've been interrogating my own masculinity asking myself what about myself I understand to be essentially male traits. And I'll be honest, I'm coming up empty. At the same time, I, I don't know that I'm ready to say that I'm non-binary, not because I hold any particular aversion to the term, but just because to come out as non-binary itself feels like a declarative statement of gender. And the truth is, I just don't know where I am. I know that words like he and him have never felt dysphoric, but I also know that I have been conditioned to accept them and that other pronouns feel right in my mouth as well. And I know that the traits that I used to associate with healthy masculinity, strength, protectiveness, loyalty, honesty, fearlessness, 
these now feel ridiculous to define as essentially male since they just as aptly describe so many women and non-binary folks who I love. Likewise, I you know, tend to prefer pants and button-downs, but clothing also feels an incredibly reductionist way to define one's gender. Besides, I look quite fetching in a dress. What I feel is very much adrift. I have rejected formally stable definitions of gender because I know how they are weaponized against people I love. And I have felt how they imprison me too. And yet, those crumbling bulwarks of identity have not yielded any newly stable ground upon which I can stand. Perhaps they never will. But instead of fleeing for the certainty I once possessed, I hear God's voice calling me like it called to Ezekiel. Prioritize truthfulness over comfort, and live your life in such a way that when you are gone, people will know that a prophet has been among them. Each and every one of us has the potential to be a prophet. We all have a choice. We can accept simple cultural narratives because that simplicity makes us feel safe and comfortable, or we can dare to question them. For me, it's led to a point where I don't know precisely what my gender is anymore. For you, it may lead somewhere different. But if we risk the authenticity to which God calls us, what is guaranteed is that we will never be exactly the same people we were before. And we, through that radical integrity, will open doors that others can move through. We can beckon the world toward freedom towards God's dream, which always perches on the precipice of becoming. If we accept this call, we become messengers of a future we do not own. If we accept this call, we become lampposts, lighting the way for others to become whole. Now we'd like to ask you some questions you can ask yourself about your gender to help you think about how you may or may not be living within gender binaries and maybe open yourself to fully embracing people of every gender. How do you know you're a man? How do you know you're a woman? What traits do you consider feminine traits? What traits do you consider masculine traits? How do you know you fall outside that binary? If you're a parent, caregiver or educator, do you teach gender in a binary way? Do you make assumptions about the young people in your life and their genders? If so, why? If we don't derive our gender from our genitalia, where does it come from? How are you explicitly instructed to perform your gender? How about implicitly? Has it ever felt confining? What keeps you from transgressing those boundaries? What would make you free? <laughs>